0: Hey there, Joe. Here uh, we had some technical difficulties on the podcast this this time, and um, just ask that you push through maybe some of these these difficulties on the audio. Uh, we felt like the conversation is really important for today as we communicate um, with each other via technology, and we really had a great great interview uh, with our guest Brian Peach. So enjoy the podcast. <music>
1: Why is that important? Why is that important? The podcast is called
0: Why is That Important? Hey there and welcome to Why is That Important? Where regular people come for interesting ideas and perhaps a little debate. I'm your co-host Joe Wenger and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Martin. Hey guys, how are you doing today? Each week we have the privilege of interviewing someone who has something they feel is important enough to talk about and we all take the time to discuss it and perhaps even disagree on it. So Andrew, I know we've been talking for a while as I've been trying to fix all of the recording issues but how is uh, how is everything going with you today?
2: Oh, not too bad. Um, I can't complain. Sometimes I still do. Hey, it was a, <laughs> it was a rainy day but uh, take those with a sunny day. So Good all in all. How about you,
0: Joe? I I'd rather have sunny days. I work outside. <laughs> it can rain like <laughs> overnight. <laughs> in my in Joe's perfect world, it just rains in the evening <laughs> and it's 60 <laughs> degrees all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh today we are uh talking with Brian Peach. Uh he is a public relations I don't even know what which your specific title is. You can tell us that in a bit here, but uh, he is um, in public relations for a healthcare nonprofit. He has the um, blessed advantage, at least from my perspective, of being able to work inside because uh, he telecommutes. <laughs> which my assumption means no underwear needed. I mean, that's 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 kind of where I go with it. No pants. No, you still need underwear. No pants needed.
1: No underwear necessary.
0: Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> no underwear ever. <laughs> and uh he's recently married uh and the way that that it's funny my wife goes oh how do you know this guy and i'm like how do i know this guy like this is a great question i mean we played together uh, on different bands played together our band played with his band back when we were in high school Uh, we have a common friend drew tilly uh went to their youth group um and then beyond that, it just had. We've had this really cool online interactions where, um, just different things have popped up and and been able to get involved with him helping out a guy um, who was homeless. It was, it's a really neat memory that I have there, and so it's uh, it's it's really interesting. And I think it's kind of funny how we know each other and how the topic that we're having the, uh, today. Of talking about communication and technology we've we've talked uh, a little bit about communication already and being clear but just how does technology influence that and so uh, welcome brian hey how's it going guys (laughs) good good so maybe just expand a little bit more on the things that i know of you and then in the midst of that kind of lead us into this topic and and like what led you to it
1: Sure, I can do that. So um, yeah, Joe and I just ran around in the same circles when we were kids. And that's sort of the, the start of a lot of friendships. But what's kind of cool is our friendship has sort of blossomed online. I think that we know each other better online or better from our internet personalities than we do from anything that that we did together, the ways that our paths crossed when, when we were kids, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. And that's sort of the beauty of technology and the beauty of these tools like facebook and and twitter and instagram and snapchat and uh i don't want to list all of the other ones but you know (laughs) that that we can stay connected with each other and actually build and maintain and grow friendships through these things but i also want to talk about the dark side
0: yeah I I very, that was supposed it. to be funny.
1: That that was a funny tone of voice when I said the dark side. That was not supposed to be like the dark side. It was like now we're going to talk about the dark side, and I imagine a laugh track. I don't know. I can see that your uh, your listenership is already tanking for this interview, so I'm really sorry about that. No,
0: no, we're up to two. We're up to two views on YouTube, but one of them's me. But we're definitely up to two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My mom's the other one. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Intergenerational. I love it. Yep. So, um, in, in terms of Facebook um, and Twitter and these tools, these tech tools that we use, I spend a lot of time online. Uh, you mentioned that I work from home, I telecommute, and uh, one of the primary. Job roles that I have is to monitor social media and to use social media, and so it's no stretch to say that I spend most of my waking hours in front of a screen of some sort. And I've also noticed over the past couple of weeks that I've been getting really depressed. And depression isn't something that I'm unfamiliar with. I, you know, I've, I have no qualms about mentioning that that I do deal with significant clinical depression. But this wasn't anything that that could be linked necessarily to that. In particular, uh, I think that it was just a general malaise or a general frustration over all of my online dealings, just with not just with um, with my friends or with the people that I talk to, with the groups that I mod. I mod a Christianity and politics group and, and run in some other circles where we talk about various things relating to Christianity and theology. D- debates break out and disagreements break out. And at the end of the day, I think that it's cool for me to know that these guys have my back in a very real sense. I can tell somebody you know you suck and and uh, your opinion is awful and Barack Obama is not as bad as you think that he is but at the end of the day it's like I love you man I love you too and we can go about our day but I don't think that all of online interaction is like that and I was it, it's funny as I was thinking about this sort of generalized um digital depression that i've been dealing with uh so you mentioned that i work in healthcare and one of the big healthcare stories at least as technology is concerned over the past few weeks is uh uh, these studies that facebook makes you depressed i don't know if you guys have seen these i have i have no i have not seen this so I've got this uh, uh, this piece from CNBC up on my computer right now, and it's talking about this study from the um, American Journal of Epidemiology – and there's a coinciding report in Harvard Business Review that talks about the the effect that Facebook has on people. It says exposure to the carefully curated images from others' lives leads to negative self-comparison, and the sheer quantity of social media interaction may detract from more meaningful real-life experiences. And I think that that was sort of the crux of, of uh, why I sort of felt down thinking about using social media and Facebook and these tools which are really good, which have allowed – this podcast to happen and have allowed Joe and, and me to maintain this really cool friendship is there's always this sort of internal comparison that's going on. Am I as good as this person? Is is my genuine life experience as good as what this person posted? And and I think that to, to have a lot of questions about what our value is and our self-worth is. And I just wanted to know if either of you have ever experienced that, just this idea that when we see these things on Facebook, they're not exactly representations of people's real lives, but we still end up somehow trying to measure up to those images that, that uh, and those ideas that people are presenting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read, uh, it's probably the same study I would imagine, mentioned. Um, and I think it's, it's very important for me, at least, to recognize that that's something that I can do. I was and I got on Facebook I think in 2006. so I wasn't a hyper early adopter, but I still wasn't late to the scene, especially considering you know I was only 18 in 2006, so uh, it had just been opened up to high school students about the time I got to college. So all of a sudden uh, you know it kind of it, it kind of changed there. Um, but I for me, I realized that when I peruse Facebook and I see friends who I respect, doing really interesting things that I wish I were doing, um, it's really hard for me to be happy for them. If they told me what they were doing, um, then I think it'd be a lot easier for me to look at them and say, hey, that is really exciting. I'm so glad you got that fellowship. I'm so glad you got accepted to your dream school or uh, got a dream job or, you know, your, your, your wedding, your marriage is fantastic, your kid is wonderful. You know, if I met them in person, sat down with coffee or just passed them on the street or saw them in the grocery store or what have you, uh, that would be something I could be genuinely excited for them about, but when I see it on Facebook and it's like, hey, here is my life, and I've got everything put together, and it's perfect with a little bow on top, a little whip topping and a cherry, I, I, I get a really false sense of who they are, at least that's how I feel, and I react to that to the point where I'm barely on Facebook at this point. I used to have a Twitter account, but I deleted it because I got nothing useful out of it, and I. Th- I I didn't have the words I didn't have the context uh, to 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 say why, but I think this really has um, put words to the ideas that I felt uh, when I did those things, and so it's been really interesting for me to see how people have reacted to that. Um, and so I don't know what what you think, Brian. Like going forward, is there a way to is there a way to mitigate that? Is there a way as a consumer to look at other people's curated feeds and understand that it's uh, the the side that somebody wants to show, or is it just, you know, emblematic or or symptomatic of the way the, the system functions?
1: Yeah, I really don't know the answer to that, and I, I don't know that anybody does. Uh, all I know is that it seems to have for example, today I, I posted on Twitter uh, something about cream cheese. i said I said that cream cheese is disgusting, and if it was called creamed cheese, you know like creamed corn, creamed cheese, <laughs> I guarantee that nobody would eat it. And people actually, like they they had a a, a gut reaction to this. Like two people told me, stop. That was the only word they said was stop. <laughs> and, and it's like, I, I don't know, like maybe cream cheese is like one of their parents or something. I don't know. But it, it's funny the way that the, the Internet, the echo chamber of the Internet, and I don't want to misuse that term, but it seems to amplify our feelings and emotions to the point that our interactions, if not being – less genuine than they would be uh, in person, they're they're at least twisted by this idea that when we have a screen in front of us, we're protected from that point of genuine interaction that comes from things like tone of voice, that comes from things like body language, that we're completely missing when we're interacting this way.
2: I completely agree, and I think... I'm gonna to have to go off my memory here, and I apologize for not being able to cite this, but I think I read something that it's only 80% of communication is is verbal in face-to-face interactions, um, and I might actually I might have this backwards. It might only be 20% is is verbal, and the rest is like contextual and you know body language and so on and so forth, and whichever way yes. the percentage goes, I think the point is to say that there's a significant amount of body language and nonverbal communication that is critical to properly understanding the environment you're in. And I think we've all been in that setting where, you know, you've written an email to a coworker and you tried to make a joke and they took it seriously or, or vice versa. And it's just hard to understand, you know, it's just sarcasm. Are they serious? Are they, you know, is there a bit of downcast sounding in their voice that you just don't get over, especially a medium that restricts you to like 140 characters. I was actually just thinking the other day, I wish there were a platform out there that restricted you to a minimum number of characters rather than a maximum. So if you wanted to write something, you had to write at least a thousand words. And it can't be like blah blah blah. I mean it wouldn't be that hard to write an algorithm that like cuts that out if there's sees too much repetition. So then you would have to you'd be forced to like think about what you wanted to write and develop your thought beyond like You know, look at our president and the tweets he sends out. I don't, you know, depending where you, I don't care where you land about him. His tweets are really simplistic. This is terrible, bad, awful. I mean, those are, frankly, words that a 10-year-old would use as well as he does. Um, But if you had a place where you couldn't post until you wrote a thousand words, meaningful words, I think that would be a really, really interesting platform. I think it would probably force a lot of trolls out, which I wouldn't mind. Um, and I don't know if there's a good idea or not. There's probably some ramifications of that I haven't thought through. But I do think that there is a lot of meaning lost in the fact that we can only communicate in this one bandwidth out of this very wide selection that we
1: normally communicate with in face-to-face interactions. Sure. No, I take issue with one thing that you said. I I think that the president's tweets are great. I think that they're the greatest tweets of all time. A lot of people, so many people have been telling me that they're great tweets, and I think that they're great. Um, I just... Well done. You do that well so bigly, well, man. Bigly great. But the, the other thing that happens, uh, and to your point, there's when we have a minimum number of characters there's there's really only so much that can be conveyed through that and then it becomes more about volume than it does and not just volume in terms of like how loud can i make these 140 words which the president does very well to <laughs> to his benefit and detriment i think but but how how loud we can be in terms of how many times we tweet per day, how many times we post on Facebook t- per day, how many times we post on Instagram per day. And I love my wife. My wife is an artist, and, and so I hope that she doesn't listen to this because this might upset her a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. I've got ice cream. The but she, uh, she's been doing this Instagram thing because she does art, and she's really awesome at it. And she does like, she makes earrings and watercolor paintings, and and it's phenomenal. And she's been doing. Instagram a lot. And so I've been like looking at her, talking to her about what little I know about search engine optimization and things like that. So it's been kind of an interesting point where our interests coincide. But I was thinking as she was posting on Instagram that the way that she holds her phone and the way that she's invested in it when she's Instagramming, I think that's the correct verb, is the same thing that I do when I'm Facebooking. And I have to be so careful not to uh, think about and translate my real life experiences through this through this uh, filter lens of Facebook, where everything that I do and everything that I think, I'm trying to think of ways to make it Facebook witty, right? Or ways to make it sound good on Twitter. Because that's, that's a pretty real concern. I remember, it's almost like when Pokemon Go first came out, and all I was concerned about, because apparently <laughs> I'm eight years old, all I was concerned about was like, being in a place that had a good LTE network, <laughs> so I could catch Pokemon, and it was it was fun for a time. But what was interesting about it was the amount of time that I spent, for example, driving down to Florida, looking at my phone instead of looking at the window out, out the window at things that are actually interesting and actually real life and and that actually have meaning. The other thing that happens though when we use these social media uh, uh, technologies is, excuse me, is that there's a gamification property to them that makes it seem, and what that means is we we get things like likes and retweets and different reactions on Facebook right now. Uh, they took the thankful one away, which I'm very ungrateful for. <laughs> I really liked that one. Little, little spitting flower or whatever it was. But it, it makes us, it gives us the same mental rush, the same rush of endorphins or serotonin or whatever it is that actual achievements do, that actual successes do without any of the real world translation of those things. So for example, in his book, I'm reading this great book right now by a guy named Andy Crouch who is the editor-in-chief, I believe, of Christianity Today, the author of Culture Making, and just a, a really phenomenal writer, and also a Pennsylvania native. He lives pretty close to where I live. I live in Pottstown. He lives in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. And he was talking about this gamification of our social technologies, and even how when you're playing a game of Madden, you might get really good at being a quarterback in Madden, but you don't experience any of the actual things that you do when you go for the football team like being cut for a team like tearing your acl what's interesting about it is if you're a quarterback already like if tom brady picked up madden he might be able to understand the the passing routes and and the details and finer points of the game better than i might as uh, just a novice football watcher so what happens is his real life skill might translate into uh, a slight advantage if he's playing the video game. But if I get really good at the video game, there's absolutely no real world translation for those skills. If I'm playing a pickup football game with my friends,
2: unless, unless they also have all played that. This is something I saw. So I'm going to have to push back on you a little bit. Go ahead. If they've all played that same game and they know that, you know, uh, blue 42 is a set, piece that runs like such and such and the you know uh the the wide receiver on the left side is gonna streak and then turn in at ten yards or whatever. That that so that right there is something that when I played some pickup games and everybody else had played Madden and I hadn't and they'd start dropping these terms and I'm like, I don't know what that means my job is. I'm just gonna stand here and I'm gonna run out five yards, turn around, look at the quarterback and say I'm open if I'm open. And everybody was like, why didn't you run your part? I'm like, I don't know what it was. I'm like, come on, man. It's such and such a play. Everybody knows it. But I didn't because I didn't play the game. So I hear exactly what you're saying, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, but there, there, there was... I guess it wasn't so much that I was out of touch with how to play football as I was out of touch with the cultural significance surrounding that game at that point in time. So it's just like all your friends... Read a book that you didn't read, or see a movie you didn't see, or so on and so forth. Um, so there was a there was a sense of of loss in the in the fact that I couldn't communicate in an intelligent way with them because they had done something I didn't.
1: But other than and there's that, probably a sense of fun. loss in that you lost the game, right? <laughs> in the I, in the real world, I would always play with soccer players, and I'm much more built like a football player, so
2: we would usually win because I could run them over.
1: Right, right. See, Which when you really steamroll somebody, you you really don't know need to know anything. So yeah, I, I exactly. see what you're saying. What, what <laughs> I would suggest, though, is what your knowledge was wasn't of football, but was of a shared experience in a shared digital space, right? So you all had knowledge of the video game version of Madden, not necessarily the real-world version of Madden. And if somehow you did a, a – what is it? Freaky Friday where they swap bodies – And you swap bodies with Marshawn Lynch that you wouldn't know left from right when somebody calls out a play, because it probably wouldn't be the perfect Madden analog, right? Yeah, yeah, that's valid. That's very valid. So, essentially what I'm saying here, and you guys can chime in on this, obviously, or correct me if I'm wrong, but what we gain... Oftentimes from these social tools, and I'm not saying that they're bad, I use them all the time, but what we do gain is we gain, one, this head rush that comes from a digital risk-reward proposition rather than a real-world one, and a real-world head rush of this feeling like we're not measuring up or not comparing, not keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, right? When we are faced with the prospect of not being able to be the equivalent of what somebody else portrays themselves as in the digital sphere. I saw this really great image a while back. It was uh, I found it on Reddit or something. Like I said, I'm on the internet all the time. I <laughs> really need to just unplug all of my technology, which is actually, to be honest, something that I've been thinking about is after my workday is over, like going unplugged, but that's a conversation for another time. at any rate this this image had it was a, a girl sitting maybe five feet away from her computer screen and the glow of the computer screen kind of made like a, a cone of light a little bit to her left and a little bit to her right. And everything in that cone of light was like perfect, you know, teddy bears right behind her and pictures of her friends and stuff like that. And everything outside was like a junk pile, like on that TV Mm -hmm. show Hoarders that I've never seen, but I imagine that's what it's like. (laughs) So, you know, these, these images and these, these, even these ideas that we post on social media are, are so carefully curated and they're so, they're so our version of ourselves, not necessarily what other people's version of ourselves might be. And this really freaked me out a couple of weeks ago. I've, I've been uh, having insomnia Ever since uh, this is also another topic, but I, I quit drinking a few months ago just for personal reasons, and ever since then my sleep schedule has just been a mess. So I was laying up at night, like really worried about this book by or a treatise, I guess, called uh, "Simulacra and Simulation" by Jean Baudrillard, where he talks about like uh, sort of the the semiotic symbols and signs idea of society being replaced with symbols and signs and that and I'm reading the Wikipedia page now because it's way smarter than I am that the human experience is of a simulation of reality not reality itself and then I was thinking this book is written in 1981 so how much more is that true right now in 2017 when we're living almost matrix-like a simulation superimposed on top of another simulation. And and it makes me concerned with the way that I represent myself in the digital space. Am I being as genuine or true to myself as I possibly can be? Am I showing people who the real me is? Or am I just showing them this weird idea of somebody who doesn't even exist, a representation of an idea that doesn't even exist?
2: Well, I think that idea w- exists in who you want to be, doesn't it?
1: Sure. Sure does,
2: and so, so I think what you're showing is a very real idea, but it's it's real. It's not a real representation of who you are. It's a real representation of who you want to be. So I, you know, and I, I don't know how to sure. understand that for what what the value it brings in its own right. Does, it, does that make any sense? So. Like if we could interpret it for what it is, it'd be useful, but I don't know if we can if our brains can actively separate out this is somebody telling me what they want to be versus this is me understanding who someone is. So, if I can
0: jump in here. Sure, please. I don't struggle with this. Um I I guess for me I've I I just I don't care whether it's real or it's not real. Like I just look at it for what it is and it's either interesting or it's not. And if I ever meet somebody that, that they are opposite of what um, they've appeared to be on Facebook, I'll, I'll now have known. But for me, it, it, to me, it doesn't matter, I guess for, for, as far as like my intake and, and, and when I'm on it and, and I, I, I don't generally struggle with um, a lot of things um, like you're talking about, um, like kind of like the depression and, 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 and that kind of um, thing. And so like Facebook isn't one of those things that I go to and place any worth on, I guess. And so um, I don't look at somebody else who's having a great life and think um, think that my life is somehow diminished uh, because my experience is, is not as, as good as theirs Uh there's also this aspect for me where' I'm trying to think how to say it um let me let me let me kind of back up um f- as we're talking about these these mediums, I look at them more as amplifiers rather than uh, mediums i guess the The issues that we see in Facebook are just the same issues that we're having. Uh, that people have had in real life, it's just amplified. Um, and I think it's also, uh, there is that, that aspect of, of being able to put either anonymity or having a separation of screens of not having to actually interact with somebody and watch their face shift and contort when you're, when you're laying into them. Um, has definitely caused, caused issues. But for me, the, the stuff that I see people put out there is stuff that's already inside them and what's going on. And so somebody who is already feeling self-conscious, um, they're going to take the time to try and make everything look grand and amazing for what people can see because they're not actually interacting with, with these people, Versus people who don't care are just putting out whatever, and they don't care if their stuff is imperfect or um, is going to be received well. It's just it's just there. It's, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. I just I feel like I'm I'm seeing these things a little differently than what you guys are are seeing them, and that's where my head's going.
2: My question to you, Joe, is: What value do you get out of Facebook if it's not to see what other people are doing? Um, and two. Do you believe that there is a benefit? When you you interact with somebody directly, you can tell if they're fronting. You can tell if they're saying, yeah, my life is great. And there's giant bags under their eyes and bruises on their knuckles from where they punched the wall the night before. They can't hide. It's much more difficult to hide the evidence of their lies. Whereas on Facebook, you can easily, you know, I had a terrible day today, so I'm going to make myself... A delicious looking dinner, or I don't even know if this happens. I'm, I'm gonna, um, project here a little bit, or I'm going to yank in a, a picture of some amazing food off of face off of the internet somewhere. Maybe it'll be somebody else's Facebook page. Pretend it's my own and say, mm, having some delicious mousse for dessert tonight. Yum. Or something like that. Like, how do you know that you're not being played by someone who wants to create a representation of themselves?
0: Okay. Um, First, the first question was what value, um, just to see what, what people are generally up to, uh, or I'm usually using Facebook to pass time, um, if I'm standing in line or, um, things like that. I'm, I'm generally, uh, approaching it more from a curious aspect. Do you I think guess? it's an accurate representation
2: of what people are up to? I don't care. Okay.
0: That's, that's, to me, that's for me, if, if somebody feels the need to lie to me, um, whether it's in person or on Facebook, that's on them, and God will take
1: care of them. <laughs>
0: well, no, <laughs> not exactly that, but it's just it's more like it's it. That's something that they have to deal with, and I would love if they'd let me in and have a conversation, um, but I don't feel as though it's something that I have to worry about whether it's true or not. I can just accept it for what it is. You know, that's a, that's a lovely picture of a piece of moose. Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't care that you're eating moose. I prefer a hamburger, but, um, you know, (laughs) uh, but do, do you know what I mean? Like I, it, it's, it's not something, it's just not something that I feel like I need to place any brain power towards to try and decide, whether it's it's good or bad, um, regardless i I guess I'm more in it for any conversation that can come that can come from it or or interaction uh, but i don't need to I don't need to know if it's truthful or not
1: sure so let me um let me ask this because i I do a lot of content creation and I spend a lot of time on the internet i don't think that I've said that enough during this interview. <laughs> I just spent the most I spend the most time on the internet out of anybody. I'm great at spending time on the internet. I big league spend time on the internet. So we all, you're talking about Facebook specifically. You're talking about a media form that whatever, for whatever reason, hasn't particularly struck a chord with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yet you have this really great podcast that you've invited me to be on. Mm-hmm. And, and I would posit that you wouldn't have created a podcast for the sole purpose of just communicating with people. Because you can do that when you're in line at Walmart. If it's a good conversation that you're looking for, you can have those anywhere. And you can have them with anybody. And you can do it for a lot less time and for a lot less money and effort than what you're putting into a podcast. Mm -hmm. So what you're not getting out of Facebook, wouldn't you say that there are other communicative technologies that you're getting the same rush that other people do when they use Facebook or when they use Twitter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably true. Um, I mean even, yeah, d- that is definitely true. Even with this, we finally figured out how to track whether people are actually downloading the podcast or not. And I'm like, Oh,
1: Hey, look at that. Somebody from Japan just listened. I have no idea who that sure, is. Sure. <laughs> so, so what I mean is you, you do care about that Yeah, and you, and it's, and it's a very intrinsic thing,
0: but right? I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's real. Like I don't th- – I guess that's more what I'm talking about. Like I I understand the, w- the, the caring about it, but I don't – for me, I don't need to – I don't feel like I need to care whether somebody else's thing is real. And that's one of the reasons why with this podcast we do pretty much completely unedited um, unless we're having weird technological issues like we're having uh, today. Uh, sure. But I want it to be uh, – I would, imagine, I would like to imagine it as we're just sitting around our kitchen table, we just finished dinner, and we're just having this conversation because one of us is like, hey, you know, communication and technology is super important. And I read this article that you know, talked about how Facebook is making us depressed, and then we have a conversation about it.
1: And by the way, it's a great concept, and I didn't say this at the uh, outset of the program. One of the things that I did on my blog is I did this, and I still do it from time to time. It's a series of pieces called Brian Interviews People He Knows. Because (laughs) what I found was that when I read an interview in a magazine, say it's an interview with, I don't know, John Mayer just popped into my head. I don't even like John Mayer. I think that he looks like a Muppet. But anyway, John Mayer. (laughs) So I was reading this, this interview with the Muppet, John Mayer. And he uh, – as I was reading the interview, I was like, these are interesting questions that the interviewer is asking. I would prefer to read the answers from almost anybody else, right? And, and it, it got me thinking, what if I just interviewed my friends who I think are cool about mm-hmm. things that I think are cool about them, and then we'll just go from there. And I got some – I interviewed a friend of mine who's a comedian in L.A. I interviewed a friend who grew up in the church and had uh, – a very scary series of stalking incidents that led her entire family to like move. And it was a big mess. And those stories are really interesting. So we all have these stories, right? And we all want to tell these stories. Uh, At any rate, I, I think that, that the other value of what this podcast is doing, this sort of dovetails with what we're talking about today is there is a space for a long type of discussion like we're having right now. I remember when I was a news producer, the typical soundbite for a news story was about 10 to 15 seconds. And the typical news story, like on air, so I'm talking about television broadcast, right, was about 45 seconds for one of the shorter form. It was called a Vosat, which is uh, video and then a soundbite and like an anchor outro. Forty seconds mm-hmm. is not a lot of time, no. and when when you're spending time in 140 characters or 10 second sound bites, you're not really getting even a part of the story, much less the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Much less having a, a conversation about a you know a broad range of topics the way that we're doing right now, even though we're sort of staying in the realm of technology and communication. And one of the interesting things about these technologies that I think about often is that it's sort of a democratization of a platform or a soapbox. For example, back in in the good old days when all you had was the, the local daily newspaper, your best shot at mass communication was writing a letter to the editor, right? And that might not even get published. And right now what we have is a situation where we can choose whether we communicate best when we talk or when we type whether it's 140 words or whether it's a Facebook status, whether it's an image that we want to post on Instagram more or less permanently or an image that we only want somebody to see for 15 (laughs) seconds, like Snapchat, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which let's be honest, that's only for nude photographs. I don't think that's for anything. I think that it's just for sexting. I don't understand why people use it. I why would you I don't I totally agree, Brian. I don't know why any I have no idea it. what it's for. Like, I think that's why it was developed. It's like, hey, how can I take nude photographs and send them to people and then they disappear so they can't save them? Oh, we'll have a feature that when you like click the screenshot on your phone that it alerts them. So they, you know what I mean? Like this, this is madness, but, uh, at any rate, so we've got these things where we can determine what communication mode we, we are able to utilize best, how many characters or what filters we like to use. And we do have this, this very real shot at mass communication that we haven't had before. Mm -hmm. And so for some people who were baptized into the technology, like we all were, more or less, I mean, I remember getting the internet for the first time. I think I was 10 years old, you know. We were all baptized into the, te- the technology, and, and we sort of take for granted the fact that we do have a platform and, and that we do have a voice. And when that I can happened. Help in
2: real quick, Brian? No, go ahead.
1: Um, Please. Just don't Snapchat me any nude photos. Don't worry. I am,
2: I am an absolute <laughs> ludite for a 29 Oops. year old. Um, So I remember getting the internet when I was five years old. We had email so we could communicate with missionaries in Africa. How they had email in Africa, I still don't entirely recall how that worked. But they would send us letters and then we would print them out on our dot matrix printer and mail them off to all the supporting churches. Anywho, all that grandmother story to say. I have felt very locked out of the internet platform democratization simply because I'm not a short form communicator. I abhor conversations that don't allow enough time for ideas to develop long enough that I can really understand what the person's goal in communicating it is. So I, like I said, I I got off of Twitter. I refuse to post on Facebook unless it's something I'm incredibly passionate about, which I think has been like three times in the last seven years. Um, I don't. Uh, I have a blog post, but no one reads it. In part because it takes me forever to write something because there are too many words. <laughs> And this is actually the first time I've actually used a medium to try and communicate with a larger audience rather than the people that are within earshot. Um, And that only happened because my good friend and co-host Joe Wanger is smart enough to actually know how to make this work because I'm frankly a little bit intimidated (laughs) by how to actually get the podcast onto the interwebs. So even though I'm 29, even though I have, very much been baptized into the world of the internet and so on and so forth, I have felt locked out simply because everybody else insists on only having short conversations that don't allow time for ideas to actually mature and blossom. And instead of being seekers of truth, they're seekers of the novel, which I don't think is an accurate representation of the truth. Sometimes... Well, actually, one of my favorite sayings, and I think Joe can back me up on this, is if somebody says, the only thing we need is, or it's just that, whatever they say next, you can completely ignore. It's worthless. If somebody is willing to boil down a complex idea into a very short segment, into something that will fit on a soundbite, into somebody's 30-second elevator pitch, which, by the way, I think is a terrible, terrible idea, but I can't seem to convince the rest of America of that. Not that I've tried, but the people (laughs) I have tried haven't agreed. Um, Basically... If you aren't willing to communicate in the hyper-shortened world in which we exist, your voice is lost. No one listens to you. And I intended this little interjection to be five seconds, and now it's uh, three minutes later, which I can conveniently see because we're recording this. So I have to push back that the democratization of the people's ability to have voices has actually excluded people who want to take their time.
1: Look, I agree with you. Wow, I didn't expect that. To a certain extent. (laughs) It's just that these communications, these technologies are still available to you. I would agree with that. Yes, absolutely. I don't know how to utilize them. And the only thing we need is to understand how using them can be both a boon, which is a word that I used with Joe when we were corresponding about this podcast. And he's like, I like that you use the word boon. And so I decided to use the word boon again. So there you go, Joe. <laughs> I
0: had to look it up. It means, it means a good thing.
1: <laughs> Understand how these, these technologies are, are both a, a boon and a bane to the way that we do life. Because even if, for example... You don't use Facebook every day, Andrew, right? And you've only ever used it three times to convey something meaningful. I try to
2: get on once a month just to see if somebody has been like, hey, I need your address because we're getting married and we need to send you a a wedding invitation. So I'm like, I'll be on there once a month just to see if that happened.
1: Oh, shoot, I missed the wedding. It's today. (laughs) But so I I understand that you still get on – from time to time, and that there have still been times that you had communication that was important enough that you did use Facebook instead of, say, writing a letter to the editor at your local newspaper, if it exists anymore, right? Yes. So these technologies do exist, and we we sort of – what you're saying, I think, is we ignore them at our own peril because there are people who are going to use them for important bits of information. For example – Anytime there's you know, and God forbid that it happens again, even though I know that it's going to, a, a school shooting. Anytime that there's some massive geopolitical war event, the first place that I find out about it is either through Twitter or through like a, an Associated Press alert on my phone. Yep. So these technologies, we can say until we're blue in the face, they don't affect me, they don't matter, I don't care, I don't use them, but either that's where we're getting the information or we're getting the information from someone or something that got the information those ways to begin with. Absolutely. So the so the, the the clutch that this technology holds, this the the grip that it has on us, it might be once or twice removed from us the time that the information gets to us, but it's still there.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. Um, and I I am on the tail end of that, that wave of information. So, you know, take the geopolitical event, for instance. I get Bloomberg News or The Economist or BBC are my go-to sources, and they'll buzz my sure. phone. But if you take a look at any of those publications, you'll notice that they're generally long-form journalism. Um, and like I said, maybe I'm a bit... I, I believe to, I am a bit of an outlier. I grew up on PBS Newshour, where they take three or four different ideas and they spend the entire hour digging into each one. Well, yeah, digging into them in totality. Um, and I read. I still read the Wall Street Journal. I still read the Economist in print, Bloomberg Business Week in print, simply because they take so much more time to develop their ideas, um, and because of that. When I do spend time on Facebook and I see people yelling at each other, you know, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. No, you're all idiots. I'm <laughs> I'm turned off so quickly. I I can't handle it. Well, I shouldn't say that. I choose not to handle it. Sure. Um, and I don't, I haven't figured out where that places me, if that makes sense. Because I, I, I don't, I don't know how to use the medium to communicate the ideas I want to communicate and I don't get ideas that I would want to repeat from the medium or the media because there's multiple media, yeah, multiple media from which I abstain simply because it feels like a very cumbersome tool in my hand. Uh, and so that's, I, I, I feel like you're absolutely right in saying that it's critical because people use this. There is no way around it. You know, Twitter breaks news faster than almost anything else there's a, a great xkcd comic where a guy where the the author talks about the fact that you can actually tweet faster than um, earthquake waves move and so the wave of tweets about an earthquake can actually outpace the waves themselves such to the point that people in theory could be getting uh, warnings advanced warnings about an earthquake which is unprecedented in the history of mankind however in his uh, mouseover text he points out that these people are probably going to be staring at their phones and not seeking the appropriate type of shelter for an earthquake, so it probably won't make a big difference on <laughs> on fatalities and so forth. Oh, uh, that's which, funny. Yeah, which I think is a very it's a wonderful <laughs> little commentary. Um, but at the same time, I I wish somebody would take the tweet verse, the Twitter verse, and condense it into a long form. And say, here's the things that happened today. Kanye tweeted this ridiculous thing and Fox News tweeted this other ridiculous thing. And Donald Trump tweeted about the two of them in this way. And this is what it means. And this is why he did it. And this is how people reacted to it in such a way that it gives everything context rather than it just being. Yeah.
0: There's a there's this little thing on the Twitter app called Explore. And it does just that. (laughs) But does it contextualize it? But it's a whole bunch of yeah, usually there's like one tweet that kinda of tells you what what's going on, um, and then a whole bunch of other tweets after that. Some are reactions, some are like people's takes on it, some are articles that you can click on. Yeah, I, I, I mean so every morning.
1: But who who who, who so, does that? Who does that curating? Yeah, robots do it. And robots robots are not good curators or contextualizers.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And
1: I, I do want to take issue with, with one thing. I don't really like how you put Fox News and uh, Donald Trump and Kanye West in the same sentence because Kanye West is a national treasure. He's really a better producer than he is a rapper. But seriously, man, just you know, lay off Kanye. He's got he's got some problems, but we love him. Uh, but but oh, anyway, man. see, you guys are laughing like I'm making a joke. It's like the only earnest thing that I've said the entire interview, and I'm being laughed at. Um, so I. I think that when you have robots doing the contextualization, right, then then it's going to miss the mark. And I think that that we're never going to I'm sorry, I just hit the mute button. I was trying to hit my uh my cell phone to pull up something that I wanted to talk about and I hit my mute button. I apologize for that. So let me go back and restart the sentence. I think that when when we have robots contextualizing things for us that it's it's never going to be at the point where it's contextualized enough that it's going to be as good as a human giving us the information. For example, and this is just sort of a hilarious example of something that robots were responsible for recently. Um, an, the, this is a piece from Ars Technica. It says an AI invented a bunch of new paint colors that are hilariously wrong. <laughs> and so so there's like a list of these colors and the colors are real colors i mean if we had a robot inventing new colors that would be pretty dramatic but the the robot was like sort of creating the color mixes and then naming the colors so like a couple of them are sort of normal like one of them is called flower which is the most um normal one i guess but then so here's some of the other ones and i'll, I'll try to like make them more ridiculous as i go on sink Light of blast <laughs> testing that one's pretty funny. <laughs> Sounds like somebody forgot to clear out a table when they were setting up the algorithm. So here's some of the other ones. Cat Babble, which I think is a like an awesome punk rock band name yes Bank, Bank butt, which is uh, <laughs> that's butt with two Ts as in <laughs> as in bottom or buttocks. Uh, Stanky Bean.
0: <laughs> also a good punk name.
1: Yeah. Uh, Turdly. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this one might be my favorite, even more than Light of Blast, which is awesome. Because I don't think that neither of these words are real. It's it, So I'll say it, and then I'll spell it. It's Clardic Fug, And it's two <laughs> words, in case you're asked this at a spelling bee. I think... <laughs> I think that the root is Latin, and and I can't give you the definition other than that it's like sort of a beige green color. So, clardic fug. First word, c l a r d i c. Second word, f u g. Clardic fug. So, the, and, and this is a hilarious example that makes the point that even if we have robots doing the aggregation, curation, contextualization, it's just it's just going to miss the mark. And even when I see these these sort of twitter stories that are curated together with reactions and and some form of contextualization that doesn't answer i think more than one or two of the the things that we talked about when we were doing our reading comprehension the the who what where when why and how the 5 w's and h that's the way that when we're kids like we learn to contextualize narrative we learn to contextualize a story and Twitter's contextualization falls like, I don't know, one H and three W's short, and that's not good enough. That's not good enough for me. I don't think that's good enough for you. I don't think that's good enough to be considered good communication in any way. I don't think that Twitter would pass a test if it was asked about the the Arab Spring movement only based on tweets, not the content of the tweets, if there's a link or something like that in the tweet, but the tweets themselves, I guarantee you that you wouldn't get a uh, passing grade on a test if you were only to use tweets as primary sources.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and yeah. that's and mm. that's exactly how I feel when I react and interact uh, with these media, that there's just... The information I glean is so out of its context that I have no idea what to do with it. It's like um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. It's like if you were to come across random food ingredients, like if the grocery store just put things wherever they so- felt like. You know, the one type of bread was next to the milk, but another type of bread was with the eggs, and a third type of bread was over with the baking powder. And it's just there's there's no There's no sense to it. And how on earth would you ever find what you're looking for? And somebody will say, oh, that's what search functions are for. But I think anybody that grew up with the internet knows that even Google, who put literally billions of dollars into researching how to do search functions well, fails to completely understand what it is that you're looking for. And it takes effort and hard work to actually be good at searching for specific things. So,
0: Mm
1: And to uh, sort of add to the analogy a little bit the the worst bread is like older and white and like to the far right of the shelf <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly all right so um we've we've talked about
0: it's funny we we we've talked about the, a lot of stuff here um so and we're reaching kind of a longer amount of time with our podcast so let's let's have you summarize in like three or four sentences, like kind of what we've all talked about, like what where you where you see communication and technology and all of those things and how they interact with our lives and what we should or shouldn't be doing, or maybe how we should or shouldn't be thinking about them.
1: Yeah, so I think that like we've talked about, this stuff is inescapable. We all compete and and communicate in these digital spaces. And it's not something that we can avoid. It's not something that we can avoid wisely, I think, but it's also not something that we can avoid and get away with. And so I think that we need to understand and and make peace with the fact that this is how people are going to communicate. And, and we need to take that seriously. And even uh, a Facebook post that you know the like Jill was talking about the the image of a a nice what did he say piece of creme brulee, piece of moose yeah. right that's piece of moose I don't think that it's called a piece of moose like that <laughs> does does not seem like the appropriate <laughs> culinary term, but anyway, a piece of moose, which I assume is the u s s e moose not like you know the the gamey kind that you cut off the side of a moose <laughs> but so if if somebody's stealing a photo and and putting it online so look at this tasty piece of moose that that I'm eating you know for dessert that i think that that's a problem it's a problem not that the that we're being lied to being fleeced in some way but it's a problem that we feel the need to overrepresent or misrepresent ourselves in digital spaces maybe even more easily than we would be able to in a face-to-face interaction i think yeah. i think that that comes from a place of longing a place of wanting to belong a place of uh, a need for for some sort of approval and and there's a real vulnerability there and so we can joke about it and we can laugh about it or we can say hey there's there's a better way that we can do this and and one of the things that i've been a, a big proponent of to sort of wrap it all up is is just this idea of grace. We need to give grace to ourselves and we need to give grace to others. And we're not able to give grace to others if we can't give it to ourselves. It's it's like putting on uh, an air mask. Hopefully it never happens, but you know, when the, the plane cabin depressurizes and the air masks drop, they always say to put yours on before putting on a child's because you need to be able to help yourself before you can help them. So really I think that uh, extending grace to yourself, understanding that we're vulnerable and that communication is actually a, one of the most vulnerable things that we can do with each other, that that's a reality and that we, we do open ourselves to a certain amount of vulnerability online. And whether it's pats on the back or likes or retweets or or listens on a podcast that we're looking for, that that is a very human need and to allow ourselves the sort of desire to to have that validation and to also recognize it in others, and to make sure, and this is like the ten cent version. Just treat people well online. We've heard the you know horror stories of people being bullied and uh, end up in. You know, they they end up indulging in self-harm or worse. And I don't think that anybody wants that to happen. And it's so easy when you're in front of a computer screen to to say this post is stupid and, and to not reflect on the actual person who's saying that thing. So I think that that, that would about summarize it for me.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's really good. So um, if people want to find you and uh, what you're talking about online, um, where you where you post all your your pieces of booze uh where can they find you at
1: <laughs> yeah so a few places uh, my blog is at Brianpeach.com and there i write about uh all sorts of things from uh, the uh the the drinking problem that i talked to you about earlier which is a whole different episode in and of itself to uh just some some things about my past and my childhood some funny anecdotal stuff that you might enjoy or might not um and I promise I will take it extremely personally if you do not go and check out my stuff So because I'm opening myself up to vulnerability in this digital technological space. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Brian Peach, and I'm on Facebook at – I guess you can find me at facebook.com slash Brian Peach. My name on Facebook is Brian Daniel Peach to differentiate me from the you know six million other Brian Peaches that probably <laughs> exist out there. So that's where I am on Facebook.
0: Okay, cool, cool. And that's Brian with a Y, by the way. We'll that put is in Brian, yes.
1: Yes, Brian with a Y. Mm-hmm. Brian with a Y and peach like the fruit. That's why I always tell people when they're asking how to spell my name.
0: That's right. All right, so one final question. has absolutely nothing to do with anything we've talked about. Sure. If you had to choose and you could only watch one more TV show or movie um, and you had only these three to pick from, which would you pick star Wars better call Saul or Lord of the Rings and it wouldn't just be one movie you can have the whole series
1: the whole series including like the future ones that are going to come out yes all right so this is purely on quantity all right although I do love Star Wars Star Wars is like one of my favorite things in fact I said on Facebook the other day that m- my wife mispronounces Chewbacca's name. as She pronounces it Chewbacca, which really upsets me because Chewbacca is like literally one of the five or six most important people in my life. <laughs> and she says Chewbacca. So that's, that's a little bit sad to me. We need to So purely – right, right. It's adorable and she knows that she's doing it. She just can't stop. <laughs> she can't quit me. Anyway, so so Star Wars – Star Wars, because there's new ones coming out, and because it's such like a wide array of content. Thank God for Disney, you know, picking up the uh, the Lucasfilm mantle, and making more because it's awesome. So I would pick Star Wars uh, because I know that Better Call Saul is like a limited run series. Like I think that they're only going to go for five or six seasons. And as far as I know, I think um, J.R.R. Tolkien isn't going to write any more Lord of the Rings books. Now he might have he might have decided that he's going to do, like, another one. But, you know, I don't think that's in the cards. So, like, we'll wait and see. Yeah, but they haven't made The Cimmerillion into a movie yet. From what I understand, that would be a really difficult movie to make. Because isn't it all, like, isn't it it all sort of, um, uh, like, data? Not exactly a narrative? Um, It's... So, I read the first number of
2: chapters, and it's... Yes, it's... So... Imagine the book of Re- Revelation, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, where it's like vignettes. Um, it's not apocalyptic, actually, so that's not entirely accurate. But there's little pieces, and it says there's there's narratives, but the narratives are very um, representative, not necessarily like uh, uh, accurate, not trying to tell a story so much as convey an idea. And so there's like, I don't know how to describe it. There's a lot of like See, that sounds really interesting. It is. It's a fascinating book. So there's I wasn't like I'm a narrative-based guy. Like if you can give me a narrative, I can follow it and I'll
1: read it all day. This
2: is not a narrative. You're absolutely right. Well, let about me ask that. this.
1: Yeah. So here's a question. So like if I'm picking like one series or one one um sort of media enterprise, does that include video games? Because before I watched these <laughs> the, the Lord of the Rings movies again, I played this like awesome game called Shadow of Mordor. And I knew next to nothing about like the Lord of the Rings universe, but I got it because I thought that my wife would like it and I started playing it. And like the first thing I did was cut off an orc's head and she almost threw up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, sh- since you're not going to play it, I, purchased it i guess that i'll play it and i loved it like it was the best thing ever like i just went around killing orcs and i thought the story was really fantastic and you brand orcs and you put your your (laughs) hand on their head and you make them like swear an oath to you and it's just like super dark and super awesome if i could play shadow of mordor and every single like shadow of mordor game that ever comes out from here until eternity that might Shift my my answer because Shadow of Mortar was so good. It's like one of the best times I've ever had playing a video game. It's one of the best times that I've had ever. Honestly, if I if somebody told me, all right, you have an option, you can go back and do your wedding again. Or you can play Shadow of Mordor in that time, but your wife wouldn't know. And so your wife would think that you had a wedding and all of the memories and everything like that stay. But you get to play Shadow of Mordor the whole time. I would do it in a heartbeat. I'd do it in an instant. I wouldn't have to think twice about it. And it would probably be one of the best days of my life. Hands gonna down. going to have
2: to edit this out. Is your wife going to hear this?
1: That's fantastic. She's had yeah, the same yeah,
0: fantasy, she, but up with a different show.
1: Right, right. Uh, No, we won't have to edit it out. I'm just going to have to break her phone and her computer (laughs) and keep her away from technology ever again. Because that's the simpler solution. (laughs) I
0: I do appreciate that that was your scenario. Like, if I do my wedding over and play it a bit... (laughs)
1: not Dude, like <laughs> so many things so many things went wrong that day so many things went wrong it was like it's not a pleasant memory for me i'm glad that it happened i'm glad that like it was a beautiful ceremony it was really great but so many things happened that day that like i would just honestly shadow of mortar i would much rather be playing that <laughs> well on that so note <laughs> i feel
0: like well hold on i i feel like we need to can like in a very brief way tell us what happened with your wedding
1: Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, the hotel that we booked, when she was on her way there to get ready, we called up this hotel. She's like, okay, I'm on my way. Just wanted to make sure that the the room is ready. And they're like, oh, yeah, you didn't reserve a room. And she's like, what are you talking about? And they said, you reserved it. We we got our wedding. Uh, We had our wedding. We got our wedding. Our wedding was given to us on December 31st. So New Year's Eve. And they said – You reserved the room on New Year's Eve Eve, Eve, not New Year's Eve, as if I didn't know that when I booked the hotel that our wedding was on New Year's Eve and that New Year's Eve is, in fact, a holiday that I would have to book well in advance of. And we had this conversation on the phone. So that happened. Wow. So we ended up having to get – I don't know, just something like just north of a Motel Eight or something, Motel Six, Super Eight, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, like, because it was New Year's Eve, and um, the the venue tried hard, but because it was New Year's Eve, like half of the staff called off for our wedding, so we were shorthanded and the uh the Bridal party and the the groom Party like all had to help set out wedding favors and stuff like that and then i I forgot my shirt like my my shirt for my suit that I was wearing, and I had to have somebody go to men's warehouse and get me another shirt um was that it? Did somebody die? <laughs>
2: I think, <laughs> I think I think, I think are, your venue being the, like no, I, you never booked here at at, the, at this specific date. I that's severe enough in my book.
1: Oh, it, it was. I mean, we got money back from the um, from the wedding venue too because they they you know really kind of screwed us over a little bit. So that was nice. But the yeah, the day itself was was not that fun, and uh, I highly recommend marriage. Like I love the sanctity of marriage. I love the marital relationship. I love the friendship. But honestly, the the entire wedding thing. Like I could do. We could do an entire podcast on how you should just elope and <laughs> nice. not do the whole wedding thing because it's just I, it, it yeah. is it's totally for the birds.
0: So how in agreement there.
1: That's Think that's it. what I have to say about that. Don't get <laughs> married, kids. Just. Don't tell your parents, elope, and deal with the collateral damage later.
0: <laughs> and on that, <laughs> note- all right. Well, on that note, <laughs> we'll definitely finish up here. Well, uh, if uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast here, um, please take some time, rate us on your favorite podcast app. Uh, if you enjoy it, share it with some friends. Tell them about it. And, uh, if you have any suggestions or if you have any guests that you feel like should definitely be on here, you can email us. It's contact at why is or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter and feel free to send us, uh, as many pictures of the food that you're not actually eating as you'd like. We'll take it. All right. Well, thanks uh, everyone. Thanks Andrew. And thanks Brian for being on here. This was, this was really great and, uh, really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks so much guys. It was a lot of fun. I will uh, be sending you guys pictures of pieces of moose all night. So, <laughs> looking forward to it, Brian. Thanks a lot. <laughs> See you guys. All right, take care, guys.